This week, landscape and astrophotographer BD takes us into a deep conversation on the sublime and disciplining your daily life to grow in your craft. Welcome to Own the Future, a podcast dialoguing with creatives and entrepreneurs to better understand who we are, the work that we do, and how we will shape and own the future. Today, we are here with Obeid Abdur. Yes. And he is half Emirati, half Egyptian, and 100% Rahib. Ya salam. Ya salam. That intro, man. That's dope intro right there, man. <laughs> it only took me five times. It's all right, man. And, uh... So stoked to have you on the show. Oh, thank you, man. I'm you here. go by BD, sir? Yes, yes. Where did that come from? Obviously your name, but... Uh, no, actually, so my mom uh, gives nicknames to all of her kids. Um, and uh, I think Abed translated at some point to like uh, Abedi, okay? It'd be mean like my Abed in Arabic. And then I think it eventually went into just BD. Um, and she used to call me BD. I mean, everyone in my family calls me BD. Uh, mostly from the Egyptian side, though. Because uh, the Marathi side isn't that much into nicknames for some reason. They're not. Nah, nah, nah. Why but, not? I don't know. I mean, e- Egyptians are also <laughs> infamous uh, for giving either the most horrendous nicknames <laughs> or the greatest nicknames ever. They're very uh, stereotypically like be uh, like a Kareem would be uh, no, or a Wasim would be like Wiso or Yamido or Hamado or something <laughs> like that. I mean, like you guys, come on, you're more creative than this. <laughs> but but yeah, I'm BD. I mean. Um, I think for me, it also evolved into uh, like a character just because like there's Ubaid, but then there's, oh, no, there's, I know a couple of Ubaid, but there's just like one BD. And it also means in Arabic, B-E-D. If you translate that, it means it means by my hand or with my hand. Right. And I like writing right. a lot of work with my hand and through my hand. That's so, cool. So I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I love this nickname. Love the name. It works well. So I want to hear a little bit of your, your origin story, um, you know, where you came from, your upbringing, your childhood. What was it like, you know, in your home growing up? Okay, um, so my father is, uh, there we go. Oh, no worries, there we go. Okay, is it better? Yeah, right here. There we go, yeah, we good, we good, we good. There we go. Can you guys hear, can you hear? Can they can you, hear now. Can you hear the sound of my esophagus right now? Okay, cool. <laughs> so, um, my father is Emirati, um, born and raised family, has been here for generations. Uh, his name is Muhammad Abid al-Bidur, and the al-Bidur family belongs to the Falasi tribe, so we're like, we're like, yeah, we're like hardcore Amarati, man. It's like we go, we go as way back as this country is, you know what I mean? It's crazy. Um, and uh, my mom is Egyptian originally, uh, but she's been in, she was born in Kuwait, and she's been in this country before it was even a country. So she's been here since the 60s almost. That is crazy. Yeah, I know. So she she actually speaks Emirati very fluently, knows all about the culture, uh, the history of different families, different tribes. Uh, and, uh, you know, my grandfather came here and worked um, almost like as a political attache in the Abu Dhabi government. From, but, from Egypt. From Egypt. And then, uh, so my grandfather and my mom's family actually have the had the Emirati passport uh while the wow. yeah when the country is established because they were part of or during part of the whole initiation phase of the country so, <laughs> so yeah awesome. i know it's crazy um but you know you know life life went on um, my grandfather and a lot of my family felt like they had the roots still back in egypt so at some point they did renounce the marathi passport and went back to really? egypt yeah because you're not allowed to have two passports uh, yeah. if you have an marathi passport yeah. uh but my mother was the only uh sibling uh, like my mom was the only child 
in her family that married an Emirati man, which is my dad. Yeah. And uh, she's just stuck here. Everybody else is back in wow. Egypt. Yeah. Do your parents, like, have you sat down and really, like, unpacked your parents' story and narrative of, like, <laughs> the Emirates, like, 40 years ago? I mean, come on. No roads, no schools, no hospitals, no nothing, just Sahara. Yes, I'll tell you, uh, it was it was really legit, right, Sahara, but um, I think... My dad never told me or was never a father's ago like, oh yeah, back in my day we had X, Y, Z. He was never the kind to say that. But he told me a couple of stories of his growing up that made me understand the state of the country they were in. My great-grandmother uh, or my dad's grandmother um, was um, in the UAE and in Dubai during a time where there was famine in the country in the 30s in the in the 20s wow and um food was food was so scarce that um it's, and it's quite a prevalent story like they used to eat crickets and locusts to get by because there was so such a big lack of food that was back in the 30s 30s and 20 uh, you know so it was, i'm talking about way back uh my dad when my dad was born in i th- if, oh my god sorry Baba. but i think he was born in like on in 54 and 1954 okay yeah and um uh, if I recall correctly, and when he was younger, I think when he was three or four, he attracted uh, uh, a, a disease, and there weren't any doctors here in the UAE that could help him throughout this disease. He even forgot what it was called. So my grandfather, who was a, um, a, he owned a pearl diving ship. So he took my father, and they stayed in India for about. So he was a, year. a traitor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he stayed, he stayed in India for about a year or two just to get cured. Really? Yeah, and that's where he learned Urdu, and my dad speaks Urdu very fluently. Wow. Yeah, I know. Um, and uh, so it just shows that he even and it was a, it was a, it was apparently a common disease, but there were just no facilities in the UAE to facilitate it or to help him through that at the time. So to me, that was just very telling of the times compared to now. We have more hospitals than you can count, more clinic. You know, a clinic. If you just throw a stone out a window, more, it's like yeah, you it's a clinic. Hit a or, clinic. Or, yeah, yeah, probably. Said Leah, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah that's am- that's amazing though. So it's, anyways, I kind of I'm still stuck on what it was like here in the UAE, here in the Khalij, 40 years ago. So your your dad, like even you growing up, was it anything like this or was it still kind of like? I mean, I'm for, for the audience's reference, I'm 26 years old. I was born in 1992. Um, so I grew up during a phase that a lot of people, you know, everyone thinks they grew up during like the best phase of, you know, of, of, of history. Of course. Yeah, Every, everyone I, has like, it's the golden age. Yeah, this was a new back in our time, <laughs> you know, but um, I think we were growing up in a time where Dubai was really defining itself. Uh, things were still very scarce. I mean, we had like one mall that we all used to go to. We had a cinema. We had a couple of things and very, some nice facilities here and there. Um, but still the environment I lived in was completely different than what my dad grew up with. You know, my dad's uh, generation's days was really just um, a lot of time spent outdoors in our neighborhoods. Yeah, TV was uh, available, but very scarce. They only had one channel or two channels. Yeah, and that would be on only a certain time of the day, from like eight p.m. or seven p.m. to nine p.m. and it would be broadcasted from Kuwait. Um, so there was a lot more, I think, uh, reading and library outings and stuff like that during yeah. my dad's days. Um, and now, when I was growing up, I think I was really just spoiled for choice entertainment-wise. Because uh, Aren't we all? Yeah, I know. But in Dubai, I think I the way I, the reason I say I'm lucky is because we get, and we import, you know, we're an we're import-based country and city. So we get the best of uh, both worlds from both Europe and America. 
So both, you know, big developed Western yeah. areas. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, even, even, I mean, I studied in the States and I tell people, yeah, dude, growing up, you know, there was a fat burger that opened and there was like, so there was like fat burger and all these other big burger places like Shake Shack and, uh, Shake Shack's the best. Yeah, no, man. Subjective, subjective. Blah, no, blah, it's blah. not, that's not subjective. It's a fact. <laughs> <laughs> I looked it up on Wikipedia. It's <laughs> Shake Shack is the best. Oh my God. I gotta go, gotta go see this myself now, man. <laughs> But, uh, you know, even when I go, when I went to the States and I told them, yeah, we got this and this, uh, you know, we got X, Y, Z back home. They were quite surprised. They're like, I can't believe you have like these places that are both from the East and West coast in one city. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause there's some franchises that are already specific to certain areas and regions. And, uh, it's just very telling of how, um, the agenda of Dubai is pushing itself to really, you know, just develop itself, getting more people, not, not through burgers. I'm not saying Dubai is developing itself through burgers. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But, uh. But it was it's interest. It was an interesting time when I grew up. I mean, I grew up uh, when I was in high school. I was playing football. Um, in a fo- and I was in a football field, and I saw Burj Khalifa get built week by week, floor by floor. You know what I mean? That is crazy. Yeah. So I saw the skyscrapers of Dubai just emerge from nothing. Yes. Yeah. And at that time, for those who don't know, the whole area of uh, Burj Khalifa, that whole area was actually uh, the main uh, Ministry of Defense or Defense Units uh, location. So a lot really? of the police. Uh, police training used to happen around that area. Shooting ranges were around that area. And then they had to move them because they decided to build a city overnight. Yeah, I mean, it was just a decision, snap of the fingers and you're... Wow. Yeah. So you're born in 92, mm. you're growing up. What's what's it like in your home? <sighs> okay, uh, before before the my mom's side of the family, a lot of them used to be in, live in Abu Dhabi. Before they moved back to Egypt, I, the first seven, eight years of my life, they were all around. And every single weekend, our house, I mean, we lived in a five bedroom villa and we'd have at least 30 to 35 people every weekend in my house. Every weekend in yeah, your dude, house. Yeah, it was crazy. Just your cousins, your cousins, cousins. Everyone. And like... Everyone. I can't, I can't stress when I say everyone. Like, you know, when people think of stereotypical like Arab households with like just a bunch of people and, and lots of lots of sounds coming out of the house. It was like that because we were all young. I mean, out of 35 people, at least you know, uh, 20, 21, uh, of that group were young, like below the age of 15. And there was just, we were all just really loud and fun and we just had a great time. So I'm really close to my cousins. I keep telling my friends, yeah, I don't remember a lot of my friends growing up cause I was just always with my cousins. Always with up. your cousins. Yeah. And then they moved out. Um, and a lot of them went back to Egypt for educational purposes cause education in Egypt was stronger back then in the early nineties in the late nineties. Um, and then I remember like my school life, just, I went to, uh, where did I go? I went to Shwefat for a year or two. Um, my dad didn't see any improvement in my Arabic and decided to push me out. Then I went to Dubai National School and then it had private school, which I graduated from. And that's where I made the majority of my friends. So I wasn't one of those kids who just moved schools that often, but I have, I have a really special place for it. Wow. Cause we were just like a, it's just a, it was a crazy group class group we were into a lot of things but really close even to this day you know you usually end up being like in cliques in school you know what I yeah. mean? like three or four people but i like to think our classmates our whole class were all friends we're all we all still have coffee every now and again that's awesome yeah yeah you're yeah. so like, connected to all yeah yeah that group growing up even our principals were like oh, we think your group was or our class was the last class to have that to have had that connection ours and the and the previous years were like that but wow it was just so i had two questions going back Go so your family unit growing up back mm-hmm. in the mid nineties, it sounds like it was pretty tight. You mm-hmm. know, you're saying that all of your cousins would be over every weekend and 
you didn't really remember your friends growing up because you were always with your cousins. Mm. Do you feel like that's that changed for you or that's changed in the country as a whole? Or do you feel like that fabric of family is still strong? Oh, no, it's really, really, really strong. I mean, it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I used to travel all, all of my summer and winter holidays when I was growing up until I was 17, was only to Egypt to visit family. So up when I was, I don't know. So essentially, essentially, by the time I was, you know, if I've, if I've been traveling for 10 years, I've spent about three, four years of my life in total in Egypt. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've always just been with family. The other reason I didn't travel to other countries is my dad thought I was too young to really appreciate um, any of these places that all of my friends, you know, all of my friends in the Marathi community is very typical that they always go to London or or Europe or America. Right. And I was really jealous as a kid growing up. I'm like, why are they always going to like these awesome places? I keep seeing, you know, I've seen the period one, one too many times, you know, I'm, I'm tired of the stuff. <laughs> but, um, but I was only, our first, international trip outside of the Arab world was to Italy. It was a North-South trip. And that was when I was 17. So when I went there, I was super wow. ha- I was super happy and like really appreciative of everything, man. I would just took it all in. But anyway, going back to your, to your point, I'm still extremely close to my cousins. That's awesome. I just came back from a one month trip in Egypt and I just spent really? it with my relatives. Yeah. That's great. I loved it, man. That's great. Yeah. And in, in your home, did you grow up speaking Arabic or English inside the house? Um, we spoke English. I think like 85% of the really? time. Yeah, yeah. 10% is either when my mom or dad are giving us a lecture. Ah. <laughs> but but it, was, it was mostly but English. that was probably a lot. Yeah, You yeah. probably got lectured like every day, all day. Were you a troublemaker growing up? No, actually I wasn't. You know what? I think You're the good one. I was one of the good ones. And I was, um, I like to think I was like, alhamdulillah, I think wise enough to learn from the mistakes of my older siblings, ah. you know? So I was a very like, okay, so that's what they're doing wrong. Don't do it. And if I did it, I'd do it when no one was looking. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I think my older siblings really were the sacrificial lambs for my upbringing. I was like, yeah, thank God. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they got they got thrown into the fire. I'm I'm scot free, you know. Wow. But, so uh, then, so most of it was you felt like in the home was English. What language do you feel like you process emotions in? Uh. Personally, I think English. I mean, I spoke English. English is my first language growing up. I mean, I didn't speak Arabic um, right off the bat. I only started learning how to speak Arabic in fifth grade onwards. Because uh-huh. um, the school I was in and the crowd I was in were with people who just spoke English all the time. And my dad came back uh, once. He, my dad used to travel a lot and he came back once and asked me a very basic question in Arabic. I couldn't answer. So he's like, yep, it's enough, like, enough is enough. I'm going to send my kid to this uh, fully Bedouin school. All these kids barely know how to speak English. And, you know, he just literally threw me into the pit. You know, it was a sink or swim situation. And um, I was, I'm very happy and grateful for that decision because I think I speak Arabic very well now. I went through also uh, a year of military national service. Okay. That's purely it's pure Arabic. Arabic. Yeah. So I think I've also re-emphasized back to like my Arabic, uh, Bedouin, Emirati ways of communicating mannerisms, thinking, thought processes, vocab, all that stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I did learn Arabic and when I'm speaking Arabic, my thought processes mm. are different in the way they put thoughts together. It's very different than in English. Yes. Do you feel like the same? Yes, it is. Especially when you learn to translate or you translate a lot between the uh, two. Yeah, the two, which I tried doing a lot of while I was younger. But I found that that's not the right way to approach because, you know, English is not Arabic and Arabic is not English. Right. They're whole different, they're whole, completely different ways of even thinking in terms of language or, or sentence structure. Um, but uh, I I feel the same. 
um i think right now in my life i'm i'm reverting a bit more back to my english uh side just because of a lot of the projects and the people i'm dealing with yeah but i don't like staying in this position for too long and you'll find me just for a couple of months only with like you know my like local crowd the marathi crowd just my cousins and just speaking arabic the whole time just to kind of make sure both are staying fresh yes yes so how you know you're you're a landscape photographer mm. you're if you if you online who are listening right now check out his feed b-e-e-d-i-i yes you will see that it is pretty awesome <laughs> it's an amazing feed um but what growing up was that seed of creativity and artisticness about you like where did that come from uh my mom was uh my mom is really into the arts um and i'm really 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 close to my mother i mean even today we look very similar like, i mean there's a photo of my mom when she was like maybe 15 and wow. she had a big smile Masha on her Allah. face and uh what of i think my older brother thought that was it was me no yeah 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 it was uh, so funny um obviously me with a lot more hair going on there's the unibrow going on so, <laughs> you know i don't know embracing the fuzz and all that you mm-hmm. know <laughs> but uh my mom was into, my mom plays the piano and she's a, a painter and she's really into the arts and she's quite artistic. And I took after her a lot. So, you know, you Were know, your parents intentional to sew that into you or was no. it just like, no, was you just saw your mom being an artist and doing her thing mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, I like that. Yeah, it was, it was, it was really that. I mean, my dad is an engineer and my mom is into the arts. So I really had that uh yin and yang of growing up my dad is every like plan everything out be very logical yeah. very process everything a thousand times before you execute and my mom was very she'd have a bit of that but she's more feeling based and she's very you know in, into the whole emotional spectrum of, of yeah. decision making yeah so i saw that growing up and um i started drawing from a young age started painting a lot from a young age i have photos of me just with paintbrushes since i was a kid colors everywhere all over my face um i drew a lot and as a kid just inspired by a lot of the cartoons I used to watch as a kid and then I think when I was in about ninth or eighth grade I picked up my first camera and I've always been documenting um any of the trips or any of the outings with my friends you know when we go for like pilgrimage and umrah trips yeah or when we just be out just a day in the life of you know just a bunch of nine-year-olds from a private school but looking back I think this stems from when I was growing up with my cousins one of my uncles used to he had a handy cam and he used to record almost every other weekend. Really? And he used to make some beautiful montages and great memories. You know what I mean? And uh, and I was so happy and thankful that he did that. And there's a lot of, I have a lot of photos of me growing up because my parents were also very intentional. My dad grew up with, with Oli, like, you know, there was, he only had like, I think seven or eight photos of him taken as a, as a child. Yeah. So my, and he doesn't remember a lot from his childhood. So he wanted to make sure as well that we preserve or we remember ours. Yeah. And I think... To this day that I look at, I look back at my childhood and I'm in love with, with that memory. I'm in love with all the things that I grew up with, with my cousins, with the blessings, with some great times. Yeah. And I wanted to also capture some beautiful moments in the now and the, in the future as well. You know what I mean? So that's why I picked up a camera then. And then I got my first uh, DSLR, which is usually like the typical camera progression. Right. Um, I picked it up. I dropped it for a while when I was in college. And when I came back from America, so I studied in the States for for a bit. When I came back, I started going outdoors a lot more. I found this passion and, you know, always exploring, dune bashing, camping as much as I can, whenever I can. I used to camp in the middle of the week. So I used to be in, uh, I'm in, for those who are you? Where did you study and what did you study? Okay, so I studied uh, business finance in American University of Sharjah for for two years. And then I transferred to the United States. 
Um, I was in AUS for two years because uh, my dad asked me to stay there for a bit and just to prove my independence, staying in the dorms. Yeah. You know, limited He doesn't budget. want you to just go off to yeah, America yeah, 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 yeah. And, and mess around and he not has. get an education and waste his money yes. and come back yes. and just as a shabab. Sadly, say, wallah, shabab, man. It's one mishkila, wallah. But it's like, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a sad truth because a lot of people came back with a lot of issues and my dad was just, he just wanted to make sure I don't fall into that trap. Yeah. Uh, and I was going there for education first, everything else second. Yeah. Um, which I was happy for and I'm thankful for. So I went to, I, w- I studied in DC for two years at the American University. And then I came back to Dubai in 2013 and worked as an investment banker at Citibank for five years. For about five years. Yeah. For in corporate and investment banking. The hours were pretty long, but even that didn't get in the way. Like, you know, it was like a Monday night or a Tuesday night. I'm like, no, the weather's great. I want to go camping. So I'd leave the office and I'd just go out to the desert and sleep there. By yourself or By with your friends? M- whoever wanted to join, great. But I didn't, I, I reached a point where I don't like waiting for others. I kind of do what I want. And if someone's joined, great, but I will never plan Isn't an event. It's not normal. Yeah. A lot of people here in the, where, where, you know, community is very tight. Your friend, you're always with your friends in a majlis. Yeah. I've, I've like heard that, it. You know? Correct me if it's not true. Tell me. And obviously it's not going to be true for everyone, mm. but I have, I've heard that it's said that for a, an Arab, their greatest fear is sleeping alone in a hotel room. What? Yeah. I've heard, I've heard it said that one, like one of their greatest fears is traveling and having to like be alone. Okay. I don't know, man. I, have I you heard that before. No? I have, look, I have, I've, I've heard some people who can't grasp or wrap their head around the whole concept of being alone. You know what I mean? Like, what do you mean you're alone? What do you mean you're traveling alone? What do you mean you're going out to the desert alone? Yeah. And I tell them, why not? I'm doing it. You know, it's fine. And for me, I personally feel that is when I'm you know, I, I have this aim of like, I want to be my own best company. You know what I mean? I right. enjoy my own company, reading right. books, writing, whatever, playing music or anything that just comes to mind if I'm out there. But for me, it's just being out there and enjoying nature for what it is. I mean, I grew up in, in current day metropolis of the Middle East, right? Totally. So, but you know, the closer you get to Burj Khalifa and all these places, you kind of feel a lack of soul and character in these areas. hundred percent. There's a, there's a bit of an art because it's artificial at the end of yeah. the day. And you know, when you grow up with one extreme of a spectrum and you see the other side, you really get to enjoy it a bit more because you know what one side is really yeah. like, right? It's like highs and lows. You know, if you've ever felt a certain kind of sadness in your life, you can bounce back up really high in terms of happiness just because of the appreciation you have and retrospect of, you know, where you were. So I went out to the desert a few times, just camped by myself. And, you know, there's nothing- Would you bring your camera with you? Yeah, man. Now, now I started to. So I think social media started pushing me a lot more. At first, I used to just take my GoPro um, and that's quite limiting cause it's a certain focal length Yeah, and, um, and it's cool for action shots, but I wanted to show people like, you know, and the sun rising from the distance and the things that I see. And yeah. if people do look at my photos and my feed, I don't take a lot of wide angle shots. A lot of my, there it's called like, um, it's called like sniping your photos. So I snipe my photos in terms of, I see things in a distance, like where the sun is rising from. And I like capturing that moment when the sun comes up as it comes up. Cause that's what like. You know, it uh, like it plays with the strings in my heart, man. Like I just see this stuff and I'm like, oh my God, this is just crazy. Uh, you know, just wow. being in awe. I love it. Yeah, just being in awe, appreciating the sublime, yeah. all that stuff. I love it. And that's been really, I think my mission the past three years and more specifically as a photographer the last two years. Yeah. So initially three years ago when I did it with a small camera, um, I was like, you know what? The camera is just a byproduct. I wanted to 
I was thinking of being like a adventure tour guide or taking people <laughs> out on these trips, which I did for a bit. Yeah. I had like this WhatsApp group every weekend. I'd be like, this is the plan. We're not on Dubai the whole really? weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, it happened for a while, but I'm like, this is not feasible. And it's just hard managing a lot of people. And I think I've become more of an introvert as I grew up. Yeah. Um. So I've decided to, you know, just take it back, um, try to figure things out on my own, go a bit more alone, started taking my camera, produce good images, um, started getting more and more requests on Instagram. You know, that whole feedback loop of like, you know- Such a feedback yeah, loop, yeah. 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 So appreciation, they're like, oh, wow, great photo. It entices me to do even more. And I wanted to because I just wanted to for myself, but yeah. that also gave me a good push. Because um, I mean, I was looking through your feed and you can you can see from a couple years back, you can see the gr- like the clear growth <laughs> and progression of you as a photographer and you as an artist. Yeah, I like to think so. Um, and was a, a lot of that even, you know, y- you deciding, <laughs> okay, I'm going to move from just like a GoPro screwing around in the desert, bring my friends to you're starting to get that feedback loop and you're like, oh, I'm going to bring my DSLR. Mm-hmm. Oh, because, uh, bef- you know, before you were saying how, um, uh, before the show started, how you are recent and it's kind of like what you're saying with your mom and your dad Mm. you're the you're the artist to the extreme super emotional Mm. deep introvert Mm. and connected to that is your engineering and your business background where you're like if i'm going to do something it's it's going to be awesome Mm. and i'm going to plan everything out to the max so do you feel like you you plan and you structure and you research and you dive deep to figure out exactly the shot and how to get that shot before you roll up to the sunrise to like capture it yeah now especially now yeah so before there's a lot of figuring it out and i enjoy the process of figuring things out um and when i first started going out i'm like okay you know these are the images i really like that i see on on um, tv or on national geographic which i find a big inspiration to me personally um my favorite artists my favorite photographers instagram became a very big push for quality photos there's a we were talking about how there's a lot of noise but at the end of the day it's all really in your hands you can choose who you want to follow it's that easy 100 percent. Right? so i followed just people i've like work that just i fell in love with i mean it's a tiny screen and the resolution is barely anything but like i can't believe this tiny square image at the time it was just a square so this tiny square image is making me feel so much and i was just thinking about the like bigger possibilities what if it's a bigger what if there's a lot more going on and um and when I started going out to to take more photos, there was just a lot of research on YouTube. Man, honestly, I didn't learn uh, photography the traditional way, which is, you know, through institutes. And yeah. I was completely self-taught. And YouTube. YouTube, man. You know, I, YouTube is like my search engine. I, I have yes. three kids and they always, they're like, dad, how does the moon shine? I'm like, oh, let's go to YouTube. Yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> I've, I've, I've learned so much from YouTube. I have a problem. How do I fix this? It's like YouTube for like five hours until I figure it out. So that was you for, with photography. Yeah, man. I don't blame you. I mean, YouTube is the first thing I, I open when I wake up. Uh, my laptop's on. YouTube is like the default homepage. And before yeah. I sleep, I have to play a video. Either like an inspirational video or gear review or something. Something that adds Gary to like... Gary V. Yeah, yeah. Shout out. Gary V, man. Ugh, this guy. But also like I watch a lot of um, technical stuff in terms of like how cameras work. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's a tool. And when you really understand how a tool totally. is used, you can really create some fantastic artworks and pieces totally. with it. So I learned how to take photos the way I wanted to. And then now I've reached the point where even before I go out and take a photo, I know exactly what I want it to look like in my head. 
like I know yeah. exactly what it's going to be like. And I, and there's so many tools you can use online now and in your phone that can track how the sun moves throughout the oh, day. Totally. Yeah. You so, can just get an app and know exactly where everything is, where it's gonna and be, what time it's going to rise and exactly where. Exactly. And the, the, did you find that out through trial and error? You like, Oh, I love this picture. I'm going to go out to the desert and recreate it. And you come back and you're like, wow, this looks like garbage. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, and oh, yeah. you do that again and again and again. And you find like, okay, I need to take, you know, a whole day, two days and figure it out. Yeah. Is that what you did? It is. It is really like that. Um, Wait, so you're saying that it, it didn't just come naturally to you and it was just, you were born the best photographer in the no, world. That's, no, no photographer is born the best photographer <laughs> in the world. No one is, you know why? It's like, it's like no one has this inherent or in, in, you know, natural way to, you know, some people can be better at learning a skill than others and faster, but no one knows how to draw the best portrait in the world. No one knows how to, totally. you know, play, play, play football like Ronaldo or no one knows how to, you know, no one's born an astronaut. There's a lot of practice that goes involved and this is a it's an artistic skill i mean in my perspective it's an artistic skill 100 right so like all artistic skills practice is what makes it perfect and going out there shooting every there's a very famous there's a very well-known um like um what is it it's like a i won't say quote but it's like an idiom idiom i guess anyway mm -hmm. they say the first ten thousand photos are always going to be your worst yeah okay so people think okay i got a fancy camera i got a fancy lens i'm gonna get a great photo it's not the case. There's so many totally. aspects into it. Lighting, time of day, there's camera settings. You have to understand composition. Composition is key. It's huge. Right? So it's just that the far, and right now you don't, you don't pay a photographer for the gear that they have. You pay a photographer for the eye and for the creative Gosh. vision. Um, and that's- That's real. Yeah. That's what I really wanted to develop because all the, the, the common link I found with all of these artists I like were across different things. Like, I mean, one was a portrait photographer, one was a fashion photographer, a couple, a lot were into landscape, a lot were into drawing. I'm like, you know what makes their photos great? Just their eye, because they can see this. They yeah. can see, they can see, they know exactly what they're taking a photo of. Yeah. There's a bit of luck. There's 10% luck in this whole shebang, but you gotta, you have to know and make the best out of every situation and see the element that's worth sharing. Yeah. And you will only know how to do this when you throw yourself into the fray. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I might even disagree with that, that there's 10% luck. It's probably higher. It's probably like 1% luck. Mm. I, I don't, I mean, I'm not, you know, a huge believer in luck. I, mm. I think there are divine interventions where th things happen where it's like outside of your controlled sovereignty sort of stuff but when it comes to art i think it's reps mm. right like if i'm at the gym i'm not going to get lucky and all of a sudden one day like deadlift 750 yeah it's not gonna happen man it's because i did reps day in day out day in day out day in day out that oh i hit my new pr and I think it's the same with art. Like it's not lucky that someone got like a great shot of the moon. Okay. Maybe if the weather is there, but if, if it's you and I with the same shot of the moon, you're going to take a better shot. Even if we have the same cameras, because you put in so many more reps than I have. Yes. So is it really luck? No, it isn't. Look, the only reason I say luck, and this is just, I completely agree, uh, and I'm completely on your point, Lucas, especially about the whole 1% luck. And that's especially, and I just have to emphasize in controlled environments. So like, totally. con so like control, like studio commercial shoots, it's all your skill. It's all skill. Okay. But with landscape, I'd say the only reason I'd say 10% luck is some places have very unpredictable weather. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you just have to be at the right place at the right time. There's a lot yeah. of that, but if you're at the right yeah. place at the right time without the knowledge you need to have to really capture completely. that essence, you're not going to get the shot you want. 
just like the moon the moon thing that you said yeah um and by the way shooting at night is is one of the most difficult things you can do it's because a whole other ball yeah game. yeah because that's when you shoot your camera in pure and raw manual mode and that's when yeah. you really know your camera best and how it deals best um but yeah well, just one advice i'd give to everyone if you're if you're uh, starting into photography you don't need the fanciest camera you don't need the you don't need you know like a, a ten thousand dollar camera you can just use your phone it's fine but just go out there and shoot all the time i mean storage is cheap your phone has yeah. a couple of gigabytes oh of goodness. yeah it's super cheap so you have no reason not to take a lot of photos it's not expensive like back in the day with film cameras you had to pay you had to pay per picture you take essentially with yeah. each with each uh film right yeah so now you can just keep on shooting keep on trying shoot a thousand photos if you'd like to man but you know as if you if you shoot a thousand photos but keep one that's worth keeping and yeah. it's worth the endeavor yeah. in my opinion i mean you know totally i think you know along those lines it's like you said you know you can take a great photo with your phone yes even though it's like maybe it's an old phone you can take a great photo you can take a great photo with you know a nokia phone from like 10 years ago yeah if you have some if you have some lighting and you know how to frame a composition right mm -hmm. there's so many other factors that go in so it's learn your craft um, I recently read read a quote. I was like scrolling through Reddit, mm, and uh, love Reddit. at someone's like byline, it was like, "That's great that you have a new ballpoint pen. What stories have you written recently?" Mm. You know, it's like it's great that you got you know this cool new piece of gear. What have you What have you produced, or are you pretending? You know, sometimes we get into these these uh, we like to tell ourselves a story that's not true. Mm. Oh, you know, I'm just like, you know, growing, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And it was like, we're doing all the busy work around creation and around production and not actually creating and produ producing. Yes. I've seen that a lot. I've heard it a lot. I think in terms of photography, it's just a lot more apparent when you put a lot of work into cr content creation. I don't like the word content creation. I think just in, in, in this spectrum, just because, um, being a photographer is an actual skill and yeah. taking videos is a skill, right? So yeah. so I like giving attribution to, you know, the photos and videos taken, you know, like, oh, that's a beautiful photo. I won't say that's beautiful content. I mean, it is beautiful content if it's a beautiful photo, right? But anyway, that's besides the point. Um, what I wanted to emphasize on this is that with photographers around this point, there's a very famous, uh, I won't say disease, but it's kind of like a mindset you get called gas just gear acquisition syndrome, okay? Which every single photographer, I don't know who you are, if you're listening to this, you're probably guilty of this. I mean, if you if you buy an iPhone every year, that's a gear acquisition syndrome. I just have to have the newest technology. I need that lens. I need that yeah. extra strap. I mean, that extra camera strap is not gonna do anything to make your photos better. It's a quality of life thing. Yeah. But you know, there, there are still some amazing photographers today who have their works exhibited in museums today who take photos with a camera that's 50 years old, yeah. that's film, that's medium format, six by six. They just totally. want to work. Yeah, see, so, so. But that's the same, that's just, it's not just photography. That's everywhere. Everything, everything. I need a new car. Mm -hmm. I need a new shirt, new shoes. And, and you know, weightlifting, I heard the story of this um, James Clear. He's, have you read anything of James Clear? No, I'm not. He's phenomenal. He tells this story of this girl he's an olympic lifter okay and he tells the story of a a girl who is a lifter she didn't have any lifting shoes so someone gave her like a hamney hamney down pair of like old lifting shoes from like 10 15 years ago 
So she's lifting with these old shoes, right? They're not even hers. They fit her. And she, I think she qualifies for the U.S. Games or the Olympics. I don't know if it was Olympics. Maybe it was U.S. Games. She qualifies at like the top level of athleticism in the United States. And even at her final comp, she's still wearing these old shoes. Why? Because her shoes, maybe, maybe they will help her perform slightly better. But she's, instead of focusing on the gear, she's focusing on the reps, mm. right? Which is good. And I think it's in everything in life. Yes. I need a new MacBook. Why? So I can write better. Really? What about your pencil and sheet of paper? <laughs> they should talk, they should, they should, those guys should talk to all the authors that happened pre-100 years ago. Oh my goodness. Yeah, and I look at all that stuff that was written back then, you know? Not, not a single keyboard inside. No. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but but I, I really appreciate stories like this because it makes people focus a lot more on working on what's most important in their craft. You know, I don't, I don't blame them just because on YouTube, I'm guilty of just checking out gear reviews all the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, me too, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Every, everyone's guilty because it's just so easy to see marketing, the market, you know, uh, promoter, promoters and marketing has become a lot smarter. They know what triggers the human mind much faster. And it's always important. And I'm a very big fan of going into retrospect. And I mean, I write as well. I write a lot, uh, my own journal, at least like once a week, that kind of stuff. And it's just important to remind yourself how to keep yourself grounded and to, you know, set up goals for yourself in terms of how far you want to progress. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's nice working towards something at the end of the day. Um, and it really puts things, again, into perspective and prioritization. Do you have a yeah. system that you use to, whether it's goals or do you schedule, like, like I've, I've, I used to do it and I'm doing it again more, scheduling like every 15 minutes of my day. Do you, are you kind of like the J at that level where you're scheduling everything? You have goals, checklists, and systems. I used to do that. I mean, I'm quite organized. I think that I attribute to my dad because he's also my dad. I see my dad grow up with, um, you know, with like literally a notebook in his pocket everywhere he went with checklists to do really? this and all that stuff. Yeah, and I'm a very big fan of that kind of stuff. Are you doing that right now? Yeah, in I your do. Life? Yeah, I I started for. I'm sure some of some people have heard, and I'm sure you've heard of like bullet journaling. Yeah. Um. So I tried that out a little bit. Um. The basis is pretty interesting in terms of how like you manage your thought processes and, and workflow. But uh, I keep a journal now just to draw, just to keep that drawing aspect of my life still intact because I enjoy it. It's a very therapeutic anyway. Uh, and because honestly, you guys, I'm, I'm a really big kid. I still watch cartoons and anime and all that oh stuff. My. I'm not gonna lie. I love that stuff, you know? <laughs> like, not gonna, gonna, not gonna lie. I still watch Naruto and all that stuff, you know? No shame in the game. Wow. Um, but I, I, cause you know, I overall, I've always enjoyed the soundtrack and the stories of, you know, love like duty and friendship and, you know, this, this kind of like higher ethos of, of being and cause all of this stuff always promote like, you know, uh, do not betray people, never betray your friends, hold your yeah. family, like, you know, hold your honor, just have always do the right thing. But anyway, that's a whole other discussion. No, no, I like that. Let's go there. Yeah. You want to? No problem. Yeah. Anyway. So you, you mentioned, um, uh, you mentioned how it, you're taking this, this, this course, right? Yeah. What's the name of the course, the school that you're in? Um, uh, right now, I'm currently in a program called the Sheikh Salama Emerging Artist Fellowship Program, uh, or SIF for short. Um, and it's an initiative where they take about uh, 12 to 16 uh, uh, citizens, or not citizens, or residents of the UAE yeah. every year. And, they, and the program's in partnership with the Rhode Island School of Design, or RISD. And um, it's really nice. I mean, it, it develops your mindset very conceptually. And there's a lot of uh, technical skills you learn as well. So we have instructors coming from RISD every two months. 
They give us a week of, of, or what we call a teaching week. So they teach us hard skills, sculpting, uh, clay, working with clay, with metals, with woods. And they give us prompts or assignments to do. They don't call it assignments, they call them prompts. prompts so, yeah. yeah. So we have certain prompts to do in terms of, you know, uh, you know, go scavenge some material you found from some place that interests you and create artwork out of it. Yeah. So that is really, I think, one of the most things that was out of my comfort zone, especially five years out of a bank. Uh, I quit oh, my it just, gosh, yeah. yeah. I quit my job last October, um, and I got into this program. So five years of you know super process based, super you know hardcore digits into completely a completely conceptual realm. Um, now you, was a you challenge mentioned I enjoyed. you mentioned that they they also were teaching that higher level ethos storytelling kind of con conceptual i forgot the exact yeah. word you used for it okay i think i used what did i use for it but what what essentially philosophy the, almost yes, yes. of of creation and of art and of storytelling yes what are some of those things that you have found that are really shaping and impacting changing the way that you're thinking about your art mm -hmm. What's nice is that because of our professors, our, our teachers there, you know, they, they're faculty at Rhode Island School of Design, okay? Yeah. And they have multiple years of experience within multiple mediums and media. And so they know basically people that, they've, they've been exposed to people and artworks that you may not have come across or will be difficult for you to come across. You know, when an expert talks to you about his specific field, it's easier for you to digest than you going and reading a textbook about whatever they're talking about. Totally, because right? they've synthesized it, a decade's worth thing, of right? research. And they can tell about, they can see you and your personality and what works for you. You know what yeah. I mean as well? Because yeah. art is a huge arena. And it, it almost goes back to, you're not hiring someone for their camera, but you're hiring them for their eye. For their eye. The, the IP, the internal kind of processes that they've developed over time. Yeah, for sure, man. That's exactly it. So they, they've exposed me to certain artists where they see my direction going in that I wasn't exposed to because I haven't been in this world of art like they have, you know, in terms of uh, who's being displayed where internationally in galleries and yeah. museums. Yeah. So I got exposed to like fantastic um, uh, art schools and to and fantastic artists and people now I aspire to. And because these people have also written books and there have been books written about this kind of stuff from way back. I mean, one of the books they've suggested for me to read was by Kant, uh, yeah. uh, which was the, which was- Which one? It was a book about, uh, the title was something along the lines of um, uh, thoughts and thoughts on the beauty, uh, on the beautiful and the sublime. So my whole thing is going out and capturing nature yeah. and this whole uh, thing of being in love with the sublime and yeah. being in awe. And what does that mean from a philosophical standpoint? Yeah. What is what what constitutes sublime? You know, is it a bed of roses or is it like a thundering storm in the sea? Right. You know, a bed of roses is arguably the book says that a bed of roses is arguably beautiful. You know, but sub, the sublime is seen when you're felt when you feel small and scared. So the sublime is scary in a sense. Anyway, yeah. it's, it's this. So that's just one of the books that I've been reading that makes me really refine my thought process. And in turn, when I go out into the field and take photos. I'm a lot more thoughtful of the things I take photos of. So uh, earlier I was saying, you know, you take a thousand photos and if you take one that's good, it's great. But now when you when you put a lot more thought into your work, instead of going out and taking a hundred photos, I know exactly what kind of photo I want to take yeah. and what essence I want to capture. Yeah, it's yeah. almost like that thousand photos is like, okay, just like loosen your body up. Yes. Like, like start to kind of develop some sort of skills. But then after a thousand photos, it's like, you can't just keep on doing what you did before. Like this, this is saying like, what got you here won't get you there. Mm -hmm. So there comes a point in your art, in your journey that you have to stop 
and take a couple steps back and think and be thoughtful. And instead of just taking another thousand, you say, how can I take one photo? Exactly. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, you create, first of all, you create a lot more value for that photo itself. Right. Because it won't be a prime product of just taking a thousand random photos. You know what totally. I mean? And hopefully one sticks. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're there with a, with an, intentionality. Yes, exactly. So there's like a, there's, there's mindfulness in the work. There's a reason behind the work. There's a story yeah. behind your work. And that makes it a lot more valuable. Um, and that is the direction I'm heading. I mean, one person I was really influenced by uh, while I started this photography journal or this photography journey, sorry, is an artist called, he's uh, a photographer called William Patino. He's from the, he's from Australia. I went on a workshop of his last year in New Zealand and they had like a live Instagram Q&A session. Yeah. And I asked them, you know, I was, I was still starting off photography and, you know, I was deciding, oh, do I really want to do this? You know, why, how is he always motivated? And I'm like, and I asked them, what keeps you motivated in photography? And he's been taking photos, I think, professionally for five, six years. Yeah. So he's like, you know, in terms of a not near, like near term vision, he's something I can see his back, you know, in my career. I'm yeah. trying to chase that. Because he's not that far ahead of me. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's quite up there now, you know? Right. I mean, he's made some of the screensavers for Apple. Apple oh, really? Yeah, for Apple laptops. Like, he's, he's Yosemite? A great guy. Huh? Yeah, Yosemite, I think. And he did, I think, El Capitan. I'm not sure. Gosh. So he's. I was, he's, I was just there at Yosemite the first time really? like a month ago. And uh, I was just awestruck. I was just like, oh, I can't believe I don't have my camera. <laughs> I know, dude. It's so great, man. It's, it's just it's awesome. so beautiful. Sorry, dude. I interrupted. Breathtaking. No, no, no. If you, it's just amazing. I want to get there. I want to go there soon. But I asked him on, on this Q&A session of his, uh, what keeps you motivated? Yeah. And he told me, I wake up, he said, out of 365 days a year, 350 of which I wake up every day before the sun. Wow. Okay. And he says, I look out the window and if I see some clouds, it's time for me to grab my camera and go out and take some photos. If not, I still stay up, make myself some coffee and go to the gym. And he's like that, that just waking up that early and seeing the sunrise that early is enough for me to stay motivated. Wow. And I thought, you know, I'm, I'm Muslim and we're supposed to wake up for a Fajr prayer. Right? Yeah. Right? So I didn't even do that. And I'm like, wow, I'm looking at this guy. He's, you know, and you know, if you look at the history, most, most people who are worth mentioning have had great early morning schedules. You know what I mean? Yeah. They start their day early. And I decided, you know, I want to change my lifestyle in that sense. And I want to be motivated. And I want to, you know, when you, when you, when you imitate others in terms of like what keeps them motivated, you kind of find your own source. Totally. And I was just trying to test that out. So has I, it worked for you? Have you been able to, or are you still trying? Are you still kind of getting the discipline of going to sleep early? I think going to sleep early is the hardest part, but yeah. even though I go to sleep late, I'll still, you know, wake up for the sun. I mean, I've gone, I've gone on some sunrise trips, like with, with no sleep whatsoever, just because, you know, I was up watching a, a show or playing games or whatever, but I'm really now starting to um, remove that slowly from my life and just yeah. focus on, you know, health and well-being. Cause you know, when your body's able and capable and you give it the rest it needs, you can perform better. Cause yeah. I mean, I plan on going to mountains and hiking and, Maybe even going to these places by myself. Yeah. So I need to start becoming. And you're right now, you're you're only 26. Yeah, I know. And you know, when you're in your 20s, you're very like, oh, I want it now. I want to do everything now. Yeah. And you're you're in this rush. And I'm really trying to take things slow and well, focus even on the body. At 26, mm. you have so much like so much energy. When I was 26, I was like, I could do anything. <laughs> even then, I, I still felt tired compared to when I was like 18, 19, 20. But then when I started hitting my late 20s and early 30s, I was like, oh man. I, I really need to like figure some things out in my life to be able to have that energy because I can feel that like my capacity is greater, but I could feel my um my physical energy kind of like dip 
dip. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm getting to that too. I mean, I used to spend like, you know, every night until 4 a.m., you know, I stay up or go out or whatever. It's not a problem. Now I'm like... Mustahil, yani. Dude, mustahil. Wallah, wide mustahil. Yeah. But the like, you know, you know, the Chirabi and Homfilmilas, and they're like, you know, at 10 p.m., they're like, oh, let's watch a movie. I'm like, how dare you even suggest playing a movie at 9 p.m.? How dare you? You know, I can't do it. I'm, I pass out by 11, 12. Now I like wow. I like being at home early. Now I'm very like, oh, you know what? Even though we're out, I like Arabs are very famous for having dinner and lunch very late in the day. Yeah. You know, they're like at 10 p.m. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, bro. You're going to go to the house. I'm like, I can't do it, man. So I like having dinner early. I'm getting into these healthier routines. It's awesome. And and really, when you make it a routine, you just find it becoming easier, you know? Absolutely. If it's not like, oh, the goal is not just to wake up today. The goal is to wake up like this every day. It's establishing systems yes. rather than like, you know, bursts and... Exactly, man. Um, and I want to go back just to the point of, yeah, of, of planning my day. Yeah. Just going back to that briefly. So I tried micromanaging my day. It didn't work out too well just because um, I have... Um, I have a bit of commitments with my family and we'll work yeah. with some friends that come out of nowhere. And, yeah. I, and I find that really, totally. that really bothers me. I mean, I could imagine me being like that if I lived somewhere else by myself and I completely lived on my own, but uh, I make sure at least there's like three to four things I do a day that I need to. And ideally the best time to do this anyway is when I wake up for sunrise, mm -hmm. you know, I wake up, I pray uh, or like on my ideal schedule. I did this for like six months last year. It kind of dipped now, but I'm trying to get back into it. So I wake up 4.30 in the morning, 5.30 in the morning. I'd pray, I'd go run, I'd go work out. I'd come back, read a book, 20 pages uh, of a book. That way, if you read 20 pages of a, 20 pages a day of a book, you'd finish 600 pages in a month. So yep. it's, it's easy to keep. It's like two books, three books a month. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's, easy, it's easy to keep that way. And then from essentially 6 a.m. or 6.30 a.m. all the way up until 9 a.m., no one's going to call you and bother you. Totally. Yeah. So that's me time. Except if you have three kids. Except if you have three kids. Well, <laughs> no, no, not yet. You know, not yet. <laughs> so, so, so I make sure that that's time where everything I need to do in my day, personal, in terms of personal development happens. Yeah. You know, um, I edit my videos most during that time of the day. I edit my photos most at that time of the day. It's awesome. And once I get that, you know, that part of my day fulfilled and like, you know, it's like a cup. So once that cup is filled, I go on and pour the next cup. Okay, you know, now time to do the morning obligation period, you know, go see family, go see dad, go see whoever, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then it goes on to the afternoon, either there'll be an event I have to go to or something. Cause there's, you know, there's so much that can happen in these couple of hours. Totally. But, but working, I mean, last night, uh, last night I slept at 4 a.m. I still woke up at seven today, you know? And seven to me is late. Yeah. I want to wake up at six. I did this practice every year where I write out, I write down what my perfect day would look like mm -hmm. from beginning to end, minute by yeah. minute. And when I wrote it two years ago, part of it is fulfilled now. So two years ago, I wrote something along the lines of, uh, I would not work at a bank anymore. I would establish my own photography or tourism company, yeah. work for myself. Uh, and I wrote how much money I would like to make every month. Cause you know, when, when it's in your head, it's a dream, but when you write it down, it becomes a goal. Yeah. So I try to make things, I try to set as many goals as possible that are achievable and I work towards it. You won't make everything happen all the time, but I'm in a much, much, much happier, like truly happier and thank, more thankful position. It's awesome. I am today than I was two years ago. And I, I only want there to be ups. There'll be downs and there's some hiccups on the wrong. Yeah. That's fine. But the continual progression upwards is, is all I want. 
and I'm so excited. And there's so much, like, so much anticipation and excitement. Life is for awesome, it. isn't it? Yeah, dude, it's great. Life is, it gets better as you get older. Life is just like, it's awesome. Yeah, I'm super excited, I man. It. I love it. Yeah. Going, going, going back just one step. Um, how do you feel like that the philosophy of, of Kant is, is impacting your worldview of, of God? You're saying you wake up in the mornings and you pray, Muslim. How, how does that all mix and intertwine with you going out into creation? You're capturing a sunrise. What is going through your heart, soul, mind as you're trying to capture and tell a story? And what is that story that you're trying to tell as a photographer, as a storyteller that's working on being in, in more intentional and more sniper focused um, in, in your art and what you're creating? Yeah, awesome question, man. I like being put in these positions. Um, most prophets that are in the, uh, in the we call it, we call it in Arabic, uh, uh, like I mean, we'd say it's something like what angelic or books from the sky would be the literal the translation. Heavenly books. The heavenly books. The oh my god! Oh my god, man! I'm sorry. <laughs> See, you okay. know, you know better Arabic than me, man. But the kitab all, all, you know, Abraham, Muhammad, uh, Isa, um, all these prophets have always have some story of them appreciating nature. Yeah, being surrounded by mountains. Moses, I mean, the staff of Moses was bestowed upon him near mountains, right? Yeah, it was on, on top of a mountain. Yes. So, so there's a significant and spiritual impact on mountains, even for those who are not, you know, necessarily religious. When you go totally. to a mountain, there's a whole different energy that happens there. Totally. Um, In the spirit realm, like that totally has real implications. It's there. High you, places. It's there, man. You feel it, you know, no matter, you know. What, it's not just in like the, the main five religions, yes. like, of, you know, Buddhism, yes. mountains, huge. Hinduism, Islam, Christianity, Christianity and then you look through paganism throughout the ages. It's always the high places, always the mountains exactly, that, that have something to it. Exactly. A lot of the artists I was also researching, um, one 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 school group of that I liked was called the Hudson River School. Yeah. Um, and they were predominantly artists that tried capturing these essences of the beautiful sublime. And yeah. They have huge, massive, like mural paintings of amazing detail of just the mountains and the sky. But, but what I'm trying to say is that when I started exposing myself more to nature, I wasn't really religious growing up. I mean, I'd pray out of obligation and I'd pray because, you know, my friends be like, hey, come on, yallah, khalan, salli, vlhar, and you'll never say no because it puts you in a bad yeah. position. I'll do it anyway. But I never really felt it the way I feel it now. You know, nothing, you know, when I was when I was out in nature and even more so when I was alone. Um, and this just resonates with me with like stories of Sayyidina Muhammad, you know, you know, uh, Jibril went down or Gabriel went down and talked to him, his first encounter with, 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 with the higher beings essentially happened when he was on top of a mountain appreciating nature and questioning how how does the sky stand without pillars mm -hmm. how is the how is the earth laid out the way it is yeah. how are there scatars in the sky and i know now we have science to show us these things yeah. but it doesn't make me feel any less than i feel like what they felt back then you know what i yeah. mean and because of that i'm thankful and when i'm thankful I'm happy and one and my way to show thanks is just to pray and just to be happy and appreciative yeah. of my life. And um and through my photos, I try to always capture this spiritual essence because it entices people to go out and I want people to go out for the right reasons, you yeah. know. And no matter what religion they follow, you know, they're gonna go out there and I promise you, you know, like hermits are very famous for this and a lot of spiritual people are famous for this. No matter what kind of doubt you have in your life and no matter what trouble you have in your life, when you're alone with yourself and your thoughts, truly, 
without no with no distractions, no phone, you're just out there with nature, not just overwhelming nature, you will find a big part of yourself. You know, they talk about this totally. all they talk about this no, on it's all, true. you know, you 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 just you're just out there and you're you're focused on yourself. And when you're focused on yourself, you just see what all of your problems are. And no matter how big your problems are, if you look under a night sky and you see how big this world is and this universe is, totally they become so small and easy to deal with. It's like you said, like science, sure, science explains like, okay, well, this is like the sky and, you know, the stars, et cetera. But I think like, if and for me at least, that produces more awe. It doesn't like, oh, well, you know, it's just a flaming ball of fire 10 billion light years away. It's like, wait, what? Like 10, like, have you seen like those videos of how big like the stars are compared to the earth? Yeah, yeah. Just like, oh my goodness, like the the magnitude of the universe and creation of that that we live in and for me like even because there's a lot of people are like oh science you know blah 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 more religious people tend to do that but i'm like wait a minute like they're not at odds like my faith and science they're not at odds with one another it's actually like they mesh they mesh and it's like it actually produces more awe of of creation that when i stand underneath the stars or i look at the moon or at a mountain and i'm like wait a minute that mountain's so huge like 10 billion of me would fit into that one mountain and that mountain is like like small it's compared to the earth which massive. is nothing compared to like i know i know i know <laughs> i know i know, like, I know dude <sighs> it's so so freaking it puts everything into scale and perspective now my work predominantly has to do with three elements um, scale. I always like showing scale in my work. Yeah, and showing the world. So uh, my photos that have scale in them, you'll always see a small element of a human or an animal, and then something typically crazy in the background, like a huge dune, um, or mountains, or sea, or sky, or sun, or yeah, whatever like it is. Yeah, uh, I show the world. There's some beautiful moments in the world that just leave you like, "Whoa, what's going? On? I can't believe this is. I can't believe my eyes are processing this view in front of me." You know what I mean? And then when I deal with, and the last uh, subject is uh, the cosmos or the sky. Yeah. I found, I've always been interested in, in, in the stars and in space and that stuff ever yeah. since I was a kid. If I could have any other job, I think growing up, I would have been an astronaut. Uh, because I think the thought of a person, imagine just being in space, in the vacuum of space and looking at your home from a distance. It's wild. Far. It's so crazy, dude. It's so crazy. And you know, there's, I, I really like the facts of the world and the cosmos just because it makes all the problems of our daily life seem really small, you know? Totally. And when they're belittled, they become easy to deal with. And yeah. when they're easy to deal with, you're just like, okay, you know, Alhamdulillah, I don't have a lot of issues in my life. You know, I could have yeah. bigger problems, you know? Yeah. Like a black hole coming towards our way, Alhamdulillah, you know? Like, you know? <laughs> black hole. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so that whole thought process of the sublime from Kant and what, what the sublime is, because you know, there's some people who love beautiful images. They like showing the beauty and, you know, they like showing a beautiful sunrise with a bed of flowers and an iconic image. Yeah. I'm not that landscape photographer, dude. Like that's yeah. not, that's not what I'm about. I'm showing, I like showing people scale. I want, I want someone to get goosebumps when they look at my image. That's like my, my end goal. Right. You know, and if I can, and what I'm starting to do more is that I find it. And I'm starting to take people along with me to some of these spots. Cause I mean, it's my job and I would love to, and I could teach people a skill. So it's, it's feasible. 
So I'm taking people with me out to, you know, the empty quarter desert for a week excursion. We go cool. capture sunrise every day, go camping under the stars. Man, there's, it's some, it's so, have you been to Liwa yet? By no, I'm not. <gasps> oh my God, Stuck dude, I know. dude, I know. no way. It's the best. It's this, I promise you when you go there, when you go there, you're going to be like, I can't believe I, I wasn't here earlier. I can't believe I'm not spending every other weekend here. It's that beautiful. Gosh, it's that amazing. I need to go. I know. Uh, amazing book by uh, Wilfred Thissiger called Arabian Sands. Um, he was a he was a British. Um, they claim he was a British spy, but uh, he was so well ingrained in the Arab and Bedouin community. In I think the early 1900s, they used to call him Mubarak bin London. And there's a photo of him sitting with like a bunch of Bedou, uh, and he has like a beard and and everything, and he's sitting down, and you couldn't even tell he's like British. And he crossed the empty quarter desert on camelback with the Bedou, and he wrote about them. Such a beautiful book, such an impactful book. You read it and you be like, wow. And when you go there, you will understand. Word for word, what he meant. Anyway, wow, yeah. So that's the, I. I read a lot of books like this. I read books about um, the past of the UAE because I like um, appreciating the moment I'm in. And you will only really appreciate the moment you're in when you know the sides of the story, what it was like, what it could be. Yeah. And uh, what books are you reading right now? Right now, um, I am. Uh, I was I was reading a book called Hike Your Own Hike. It's about an American couple who, I won't call it self-help book, but it was a nice retrospect book about this guy who hiked the Alpachian Trail in the States. Um, they're quite wealthy and well-off, and there was just kind of lessons they've learned along the way. It's a six-month tour, you know, they have you have to quit your job and you have to hike six months right. across, like, I think, something like, how many, like 24 states or something like that, yeah. something crazy. Yeah. Um, but I'm reading that currently, and I'm uh, right now I'm reading. So I balance between books like that and some books about my industry and some old school novels because I didn't read a lot when I was growing up. Yeah. So right now I'm reading The Merchant of Venice. Oh I, man, I know. Oh, so good. I, I know. So I'm. I've, so I'm, I'm. So good. You have to read Crime and Punishment. Crime and Punishment. It will it will destroy your world. It's, really. It, this is a book that caused me to fall in love with literature. You had to get past the first after page like page a hundred. Then like, you know, by 120, it's like your hook, line and sinker and you awesome. like can't put the book down. Dude, I'm, I'm, I'm quite disciplined when it comes to reading books, even if it's a book I won't like, but if I start it, I have to finish it. That's awesome. Yeah. Like I, it's amazing. It's an, a phenomenal book. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, old Russian novel, but it's like. They were the greatest, some of the greatest writers at the time, man. Some of the, I mean, it's just like grip your heart out and like can't blame you i mean yeah. one book i loved growing i think uh that i read in the last few years that was uh Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea yeah uh by jules verne yeah i think that book is a very like if someone wanted to know what kind of book would you know if i lived in a world uh, would be that world yeah i'd be awe. yeah man is that why i mean you back to your art you're you're a, a astrophotographer yeah and is it it's probably like once again one of those virtuous cycles right you started taking pictures out in the desert and now you're even in this course and learning more like from Kant and the sublime and then tying back into your to the awe of creation which then ties back into this creation of like taking pictures and showing that scale and how small a, a car or a human is compared to a sand dune mm. or this night sky yeah um is that kind of like where your your work is going right now yeah right now i'm uh, so last year i quit my job last october and went into the world of freelance photography freelance yeah so i did a lot of commercial work okay. um throughout the last year or so and now i've starting to shift away from that and i want to work focus on workshops because workshops enable me first to create 
content that I like and images that I want to create and capture. Um, and they, they sell well as prints, but it's essentially capturing that essence that you just talked about, you know, yeah. becoming more thoughtful and artistic in my work, transposing what is out there conceptually and putting it into something physical that people can see, yeah. making it manifest into something almost tangible. And even in the workshop, it it puts you in this place where you're having, it's kind of like what you started with, going out to the desert with your, your friends, but it's kind of like, it's like mini minak. It's yeah, just kind yeah. of like, we're all hanging out. What are we doing here? Like, gosh, this is not what I want to be doing. But this has like more of a focus and a purpose where you're able to not only teach, but you're able to kind of share kind of those deeper kind of awe, sublime sort of things of who you are with other people and have them appreciate that in a deeper level. Is that right? Last year when I went to William Patino on his workshop, man, there are some moments where I, I think I, we, we don't talk that much, but I feel like a, a strong bond to him just because I understand what his heart feels when he sees these things. Yeah. You know, there doesn't have to be, there doesn't need to be words. But we were in this position, we were near Mount Cook, one of the, the yeah. highest peak in the southern and, and near in Australia, New Zealand. And there's just this scene where we saw the mountains and we didn't have to speak. I didn't even have to take pictures. I just put my camera down and he's like, yeah, man, this is what it's all about. It's about this experience. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's all I want to do, bro. Like, even if it's not, even if it's not out there to take photos, because I would love to, and I like to, but it's also important to put the camera down and reflect and appreciate what's in front of you. I mean, one thing that really put things into scale when we were there, we were near, I think, Hooker Lake, which is a glacial lake there near Mount Cook's base. Yeah. And we saw like in the distance, there was like this ridge, okay? Looked quite small compared to the peak of Mount Cook. And he's like, he's like, Abe, do you see that ridge over there? I'm like, yeah. He's like, that little thing there is taller than your Burj Khalifa by a long shot. I'm like, no way. And your Burj Khalifa already here is, is a, it's a sky piercer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so that puts that, you know, just- Gosh, the perspective. Yeah, just keeping these things oh. in check and looking back just makes you go like, wow, wow, wow. I also want to be wowed. And I want people to be wowed as well because sharing this experience is something we lack now. Light pollution everywhere. You can't oh, see I the know. scar. My, my grandmother was telling me how they used to see the Milky Way from where they used I to bet. live. It was amazing. I bet. Oh. And um, I'm actually, alhamdulillah, I'm starting off my first astrophotography workshop um, on August 10th. With, it's like in a week. Yeah, yeah, it's like in a week with uh, Gulf Photo Plus, yeah. which is uh, one of the region's biggest photography hubs where they host a lot of workshops and events and they have a uh, uh, photo week with a lot of amazing international artists and exhibitions. So it's- you've done, you've done one with them before, right? So this is your second one? No, this is my first Gulf Photo Plus workshop. So first one with them? Yeah, with them. I've done workshops previously with uh, Sharjah Art Foundation. Okay. Which we went for Sunrise. We went as a big group. I mean, we went as 12, 13 people. And I've done uh, three workshops last year for an entity called ING Creatives. Have you heard of yeah, them? Yeah, of course. So I went. So ING Creatives, they had a couple of amazing, you know, uh, creatives and artists come throughout the world, and I did the promo for them in three different locations. And that, I mean, I was handling I think between thirty to forty people, wow. which was just a, a mess. A yeah, it was a mess, man. I, and I used to think like, oh yeah, man, I love meeting people. Let's let's have it happen. Let's have a lot of people in. But it's really difficult and I want to once it scales at that there's you lose a personal touch oh and my you God. can't like go deep and it's like it's hard just chaotic at the start it's just you yeah dude at the start I just gave everyone kind of like you know okay xyz parameters let's do it you know what I mean but I really want to help 
and I love teaching and helping people. Um, I don't know, ever since I was a kid, just because I, I, I enjoy that process. And out of all these anime and cartoons I, I watch, you know, it's like one of my values, duty and, and helping yeah, people. Yeah, it goes back to that, right? Yeah, I, I enjoy it. And I, find, I, really, I really find joy in teaching as well. Because yeah. to me, nothing beats the, the, the sense when somebody goes like, wow, I can do this, you know, just seeing it on totally. someone's face. It's so priceless. Absolutely. So, um, so I've... So I've, after I've hosted like these weekend trips a few years back with all, oh, let's go to these places. And I started taking photography seriously. And now I only travel with, now predominantly I travel with three or four people who are photographers, Max, and my best friend who isn't a photographer, but he's like super, he's the kind of person who likes taking it easy and looking and appreciating. And he's, he's an amazing guy. Um, but I like having that small focus group because first of all, it's that personal touch that I want to establish because, you know. I don't want to just make a connection out with nature. I want to make a connection with people. Yeah. Right. It's all about people at the end of the day. Yeah. So, um, every, so er, at the end of the day, every business is about people. Yeah. Every single business, it comes down to a person and a relationship and a connection and a bond with that person. I mean, you're right. No doubt. It's just, you know, without it, it'll be nothing here, you know, like, so do you feel like you're, you're building community, like, like small community and trying at a higher touch point with your, your, uh, workshops yes um i mean they're really starting to be established now um i think i'd like to answer that question a bit better a little bit more later yeah but i think in my immediate friend group now i really my friends who i travel with are photographers now you know what i mean because they have the same mindset in terms of when we go out and take photos i mean two of my friends we all go to the same locations we come back with completely different images from one another yeah um and i can't hand people i can't handle people who who like waste time who are like oh no man i just want to sleep in today uh, especially on a trip, you know, I'm like, you know, we're here for a limited time. We have to make the most out of it. And, right. and, and when I travel is when you'll see me plan it hour by hour, minute by minute, like, okay, sunrise here. This is where we're going to eat. This is where we're going to stay. Oh, especially when you're dealing with light. It's like you're one minute off and it's like, well, there goes the whole trip. Literally oh, one, one minute. There goes the whole trip. I know, man. I've had situations like that with people who weren't in this kind of mindset and I've X them out completely. So that is why even this astrophotography workshop is going to be very uh, hot and like it's high intensity. We're going to leave at 7 p.m. and we're going to go all the way and keep on going until 10 a.m. the next morning, no sleep. But that's the price you pay for creating art and you'll love it anyway. I mean, right. have these people, some of these people stay up late watching shows on Netflix, you know what I mean? I can promise this is a thousand times more enjoyable when oh, yeah, you get into it. Uh, absolutely. Um, and uh, so, so what, what what components are in your workshop? Like, what do you provide? What do you do? Um, I What are your touch points? So I teach them essentially on composition and dealing with light pollution um, and how to, the best cameras or adjusting their camera settings to understand how how to capture the Milky Way or the stars the best they can. Yeah. Um, just because it's a tricky matter and it's at night and it's uncomfortable and there's a commitment and it's, I mean, I, I went through a lot of trial and error before I was able to get some really nice, like, you know, bangers, you know, essentially. Yeah. And I want to reduce that downtime for people. Totally. I want people to come to this workshop ready enough with enough skill that they don't ever have to attend my workshop again. You That's know great. what I mean? Uh, I want to teach people hardcore skill where they can go out and really just produce and produce if they'd like. And because it's easy. I mean, it's stuff I learned on YouTube, but I don't want people to watch hours of YouTube videos. It takes so long and to yeah, synthesize that. Exactly. And some of the videos are older. So some of the things with cameras today have changed and I can cater to each one's needs. And I really, I'm not even going to be taking, I may take a photo that night just to show an right. example, but I want to be looking over the shoulders, helping out with the Absolutely. camera. And it's, it's nice. It's like hand-to-hand combat, not like... I'm just going to take my megaphone and tell you what to do. No, it's like, no, no, no. you're getting in the trenches, you're sitting down with each person, 
you're helping them on their composition, on their settings exactly. as you go. Yeah, and what 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 is important in these things, or when I find this tricky, is to not uh, guide but advise. So there's there's part that's technical skills, which you teach, and then I don't want I don't want to tell a person oh compose it this way because then that that steals from their yeah, develop, the development created. of their eye. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I'd be like, why don't you think of X, Y, Z? Yeah. And I want them, like every good teacher will teach a student how to get to the answer themselves. Totally. Right? So I want people to find exactly. the answer themselves. Because that way, you know, it's like teaching a man how to fish, uh, yeah, example. Yeah, yeah. So that's going to be really exciting. We're handling transportation to and from. We're going to grab coffee the next day. We're going to have an editing session as well because editing astrophotography is completely different than most landscapes mm. just because of the settings and the and the situation you're in. And we're also going to be doing some interesting like light painting stuff. And cool. Yeah, yeah. So it takes some time for the Milky Way to come and it's, yep. and it's seasonal here in, in our region. Yeah. It's only in the summer, which is very ironic. I know, man. I wish it was in winter, but know, that's what, what you got to do. Um, but it's going to be really fun. I'm super excited and hopefully it becomes a great recurring workshop and I hope people get like, I want it to become regarded as the goal is to make it the best workshop in the region Come on. or the world. You know what I mean? Of course. So that's what I'm working for, inshallah. And where can they find the details for that? Uh, so that's either, they can check out my Instagram page, which is instagram.com slash B-E-E-D-I-I -E -E -I -I, or check out Gulf Photo Plus as well. So uh, on their website, so gulfphotoplus.com. They have the list of all of their Is it capped? Uh, yeah, so it's six people maximum. Six people maximum. Yeah. So you, are you already booked out then? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I think there's one or two spots left uh, if they're lucky. I mean, if people look like they're lucky. Often, how often are you running these over the summer? Uh, no, so they're going to run from now all the way up until we're aiming April uh, next year. Um, we're going to have them. But as if you can only get the Milky Way in the summer, are you still going to do it over the winter? Yes, because it's still astrophotography okay. and you can still get some really kick. I mean, I don't want to go out there just because the Milky Way is visible. Going yeah, out there yeah, regardless, yeah. it's still a, a night sky full of stars and, you know, um, but we're going to have it, I think, recurring at least once a month. Because uh, ideally you want to shoot the Milky Way on a moonless night. Yeah. Because the moon really takes away from the lighting. Totally. It steals the show, man. Yeah. Come on, uh, moon. It does. Get out of here. And my last name means moon too. So it's like, a, I'm, I'm going to leave right now. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's, it's exciting. It's the first test. It's the pilot. It's the pilot workshop too. Um, I know there's going to be some hiccups, but I think with my experience and the professionalism that Gulf Photo Plus brings, we're going to really minimize our mistakes. It's awesome. Because they run lots of workshops throughout the year, man. It's crazy. So if, you know... There's probably people listening who they are in their corporate jobs. They've been doing their photography or their music or their art. What has it been like for you as a freelance photographer, freelance artist, um, moving out of your corporate safe nine to five um, into way longer than five? I'm sorry. I just got to say go on nine to <coughs> was it nine to nine to one. nine? Nine to one a.m. In your corporate job? Yeah, man. It was like a corporate and investment banking. So when deals came around, they came around, dude. Dang. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't pleasant. So I went from again one extreme of wow. the spectrum to the other. But go on. So what was it like for you? What was it like for you in your decision process uh, with relationships with family, and then even more so with landing clients as you took the leap from your job into freelance? And how did you make that work? Okay, so the way. I made it work and the way I advise people to do. So I'll, I'll talk about what I did and what I would do differently. Um, so when I, at, at first I started just posting my photos on Instagram and on social media, like no big deal. You know, it was just, you know, like a person, just a regular person sharing these photos. I'm like, okay, sure. And then at some point I started getting a lot more, Hey, how did you 
people were asking what camera do you use, what lens do you use, what settings do you use. Then some people came and approached me and said, hey, next time you go out, can I come with you? And then soon after I found some people asking if they can be my assistant, which I found so humbling and amazing, but I, I, wow. yeah, I, I wasn't ready at the time, but now I would like one. Um, and uh, started getting commercial requests. Even though I was a landscape photographer, people recognized that I had an eye because I take photos of my friends and post them on a story or whatever. And some friend, I had some people approach me, hey, I want you to take a photo of like my fashion line or I want you to take a photo of some jewelry pieces I have. Yeah. Or, I, was, I never said no to any of our opportunity, especially when you start off because you will learn so much and that kind of knowledge will always translate back into your totally. skill. So I never said no to opportunities. Um, and while I was working at the bank, I made sure weekend photography was a priority over everything else. So no matter what it is, I told my friends, I'm going to be out every weekend from this point onwards with my camera. If you want to join, great. If you don't, tough luck. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm still okay with it. So I really made it a, I didn't, I didn't allow any excuse to take me away from, from developing my skill and from going out and capturing images I wanted. Um, and at the same time, towards the end of my uh, banking career, I didn't, you know, go like one day, oh, you know what? Screw this. I'm just going to be a photographer. You know, boom. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. I started getting requests to shoot on weekends. I'm like, sure, I can, you know, I can entertain that. Then I started getting requests to shoot in the middle of the week. I'm like, no, I have work. Then I started getting even more requests and more requests. Then I started thinking, wow, okay, you know, people want me to shoot for them in the middle of the week. If I shoot for people in the middle of the week, is it feasible? I made the whole cost analysis benefit yeah. because of, you know, banking, obviously totally. you make these skills, you get these Excel, Finance background. Sweet, sweet Excel skills, baby. Oh, Excel. Uh, trust, trust me, guys, you gotta get on Excel, man. Like really, it, it sucks at first, but when you know how to use it, it will, it will make amazing. things clear. Yeah. Um, and what's nice now is that there's a lot of sources, both, not a lot of sources. There's some sources in the region, like uh, there's a photographer called Walisha. He used to be, he was an ex-engineer and now he's a photographer. And he's also very methodical when he's, when he, when he plans. So he has a couple of posts on how to price your photography. That's awesome. Yeah, which is great. And he had like an Excel sheet showing what you need to do and how you price it, which is great. So I took some examples from that. I took advice from friends asking a lot of market research. Yeah. And I started thinking, okay, you know what? If I quit the bank, what am I going to do? And before I quit the bank, I made sure I had opportunities lined up in the near term to sustain myself enough. For those of you who, are, who, who may think that, okay, financially it's difficult. Look, life, I, I, like the biggest advice I've gotten is life is not easy. It's really going to kick you down and you have to kick it back in the face if you want anything out of it. You can't just succumb to the, you know, to, to the mundane flow of life. If you really want to get out of it, truly, you will find a way out. Yeah. You know, I mean, you have the cat of Monte Cristo, you know, a story where, Gosh, yeah, right? yeah, which I love, I love that story. He's been in jail for, you know, over a decade. And then he, he got out of prison by sneaking into his friend, his best friend and mentor's coffin, you know, whatever it takes. And I'm not telling you to like do that. Cause like, that's haram. But what I'm saying is, that's <laughs> what I'm saying is, you know, if, if you want financial support, don't be shy to ask your friends and your family, but only when you really thought about it. Even if as an Arab, you know, most times you have to talk to your parents about this stuff. Yeah. Alhamdulillah, growing up, I think I've proved a lot to my dad and mom through educational and work experience and, you know, things that I've achieved. So they really trusted me when I took this decision. My dad told me, Abed, I really don't know. You know, my dad was a very like, previously, if I didn't, if he, there's something he didn't like, you just say no and cut yeah. it off. Yeah. But now it's become a discussion. And That's I, awesome. And I talked to him months in advance. I told him, look, I'm not feeling comfortable at the bank anymore because I know I could create and do a lot more in this in the long term. And like any business, the first year is going to always be the hardest. Totally. I mean, I had, uh, I quit in October. I had my life planned out until 
December with some really cool projects, man. Like I can't even explain. I was on a National Geographic photography show. Amazing. Um, I was commissioned by the government of Sharjah to take photos of uh, their Sharjah Islamic Art Festival. It's awesome. And I, what I did was I tried to, as much as I can, live well below my means. Yeah, so I it's caught, important. Yeah, I, it's one of the most important things. We 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 spend a lot here. Like it's nothing. Yeah, but really, true. don't. I just started eating at home more, stayed at home more. I only go out if I had to. But now I've reached a level of income and flow of income where it's become, okay, you know what? I can go out for coffee and lunch with my friends a lot more now yeah. than before. But if I didn't take that first step, I would have suffered a bit more now. Yeah. Um, developing contact is important. But like once I made that decision, I just made sure the next three, four, five months were filled with jobs uh, or potential jobs or working towards jobs and not just, you know, oh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I just got here. I don't know what's going on. Let me figure it out. It's, you will figure it out along the way. Not that everything will be given to you from day one, but you have to be adaptable and you have to be hungry and work. There was one Saturday, I think there was this one week where I was like, crap, I have nothing. I have, I have literally no, I, I you know I'm running out of funds. I was literally on my last, like I think 200 dirhams or 100 dirhams. And uh, for that month, cause I, you know, saving is very, very important cause it gives you a buffer. Yeah. Um, I can't stress it. Like guys really save 10, 10%, 15% yeah. of, your sa- of your monthly salary. If you have a salary or whatever income, just do it. You will thank me later. I promise you as a banker and start like putting it into bonds or anything easy. Absolutely. Wallah, wallah, you will thank me. Your kids will thank me. Your Absol- wife will thank absolutely. me. Your, uh, trust me. But you'll thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you will thank yourself. Your 60 year old self. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so, so what I was saying is that I, I had, I was, I was like broke and I was like, I don't want to touch my savings. What am I going to do? On one Saturday, just on one day, I literally had, I think 16, 17 phone calls with different companies, I called people up and asked them, hey, you do you want to- You called, called. Yeah, I know. So five of them, I called, called, or six of them, I called, called, and man, the universe works in, s- in mysterious ways. I'm like, hey, I remember you just got a fashion line coming up. Do you want you want me to shoot for you? Oh, I know you're launching a website. Do you want to create some work? Yeah. And even if it's not necessarily paying, it most jobs will lead to a paying job totally. if, if you produce good totally. enough content. Absolutely. Um. So a lot of people are like, oh, you know what? I just started and I'm going to charge like 2,000 dollars an hour. I'm like, bro, like sit down, man. Like you're not, you're not going to do that, okay? Um, and so you worked for free while you had your job. Exactly. You built your portfolio. Exactly. You disciplined yourself and your savings. You made a plan. You talked to your parents months ahead of time, or yes. who, you know, if you're married, your spouse months ahead of time. Yes. To make sure, like, it's not out of the blue. Yes. And then you lined up clients, and then when things got hard, you said, "Oh well, I'll just, you know, I guess it wasn't for me. I'll go back to my corporate banking job." It's easy to do. People think that way and it's easy to do. And by the way, thank you for summarizing. Sorry, guys. I know I, no, I, I, go, no. I, go, I go on. But, but on, instead, on you were like, okay, this is my job. I have to sell myself. I'm a salesperson. I'm going to pick up the phone and I'm going to make a couple of sales calls and I'm going to use my network and I'm going to land more jobs because yes. otherwise I'm not going to eat. Yes, yes, yes. A hundred percent. Yes. You know, I think... In our world today, there's so much content being made out there, but you know, you won't know 99.9% of the people because they ha- lack the marketing skills yeah. and the promotional skills, which is one thing that you really need to know how to do, especially if you're into freelancing, especially if oh you're into goodness, freelancing, yeah. you know what I mean? Cause you know, you could, you could produce the most amazing, you know, um, content cake, you know, uh, uh, ships, cars, whatever it is in the world. But if nobody sees it and nobody knows about it and really knows about it and pushes it forward, yeah, you know, my, my dad always used to tell me, man, Americans are so good at marketing. They can sell air. It's true. You know? And I thought like, man, you know, if somebody can literally sell nothing 
and I have something to sell. I can sell something for a lot yeah. more, right? So I had that mentality of always pushing it, always understanding my market, being fair as well. Yeah. Because when you're fair, people will always talk and appreciate you highly and they'll give you higher value from what you charge. So it's okay to charge a minimum at first, but if it lands longer term deals, it's beneficial yeah. for you. I did, a, I did a job last year for, I think it was like six, seven hours for a thousand dirhams. And that's generally lo- on the lower end of the scale because uh, that's a lot of physical time that you spent on stay on 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 site and a lot of time afterwards editing. Editing, yeah, right. Which is which is it's tedious. It is. But now I can land the same job with the same person for four or five thousand yeah. because they know my level of work. Their brand has also increased, so their budget's totally. increased. They see the value yeah, of what yeah. you do. It's it's best in my suggestion, depending on what your photography and skill level is, work with peers or brands that were within the same a level and an age i'd say age in their career and life so if you're starting with a startup and you're just starting up they'll accept free work and you can do free work for them right yeah as soon as their brand promotes and gets better and choose and choose smartly in this totally. case totally it's business dev yeah, it's yeah. business development exactly and it's it's being smart about who you're approaching you're not going to approach you know coca-cola with your your camera and like talk to the receptionist and be like hey let me like shoot your coke Mm-hmm. Like get out of here. Kid. Yeah, they will. They will say that. But once, you know, like you said, in terms of business development, brand development and skill development, they're going to approach you at some point. Yeah. I mean, last year I'm like, okay, who am I going to talk to? Then I got approached. I can't believe I got approached by National Geographic, which is a dream of mine. Right. Out of a random opportunity from a random person, from this kid I knew in college way back when. And he told me, he suggested his, 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 his girlfriend was working at the at the brand at the time and they were looking for candidates for the show. It's like, oh yeah, my friend takes great photos on Instagram. Call him. Totally. What, you were documenting your process. And yeah. I, you know, I mentioned it earlier. I looked back on your feed and like, wow, two years ago, this <laughs> photography was like, mm, yeah, that's kind of like over edited. That's like, okay. But your recent stuff, like you can see that like fast development over a couple of years in your art. And I think so many people wait to show their work until it's like finished perfect and polished instead of like doing the best that they can do now shipping that work and then doing another piece and another piece and another piece and it's distributing your art as you're still in process that makes people hear your narrative hear your story and bond with you as a person and then refer you when an opportunity comes along. Exactly. We were just talking earlier before before the show about balancing between uh, establishing a connection with the audience and yeah. potential people who follow you. Because yeah. everyone's going to, you know, I mean, you have presidents on, on, on social media who people follow them, you know? Yeah. So that, and that way you influence others and those around you. So when people see the work that I'm creating every day and the work that you're putting in every day, they connect to your artwork more. It gives it more of a value. And now what I suggest is when you're out everyday shooting and you're out everyday creating content, you will create a backlog bigger than the amount of content you can push per day. Because yeah. you know, there's algorithms. I mean, you don't, you don't want someone posting 50 photos on Instagram a day. That just doesn't work. You know what I mean? Um, so right now I've limited to one or two photos a day max. And I've had literally, I think, eight or nine months of worth of photos to to go through and edit, but because I really took my time, I think I took like three weeks off social media and that kind of stuff. I took my time taking those photos, editing it one round, letting it marinate. It's very important, you guys, let your photos marinate, let your work marinate, go back to it again and again, take a break, go sleep, go out for a walk, come back to it. Yeah, if you still huge like, in the creative process. It is. And then, you know, I'd see it again the week after. Do I like it? Great. I'd give it a five star on Lightroom, which yep. some of you may be familiar with. So I give it five star. And that if it's a five star, it means this will not change until the day I die. 
is the mentality I put it in. So when I approach images with this mentality and if I want to be meticulous and I, you have to be meticulous in this day and age, you yeah. create fantastic images. Yeah, it's real. If you, if you check out um, right now on my phone, I use this application called Preview, which kind of like schedules your Instagram posts. Yeah. I have a lot of my work already up on my website. My website is run very professionally, but Instagram creates more of a storytelling narrative. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because you get to see daily updates. So I have posts ready from now up until I think, um, I'd say maybe even November. It's amazing. Yeah. I post a day, more than enough. I have a lot of photos that photos that I think are really good and worth sharing into a portfolio. You know what I mean? And it's only because I did not bother with sharing every day because some people are really attached to social media and like, oh, I need to just post this out all the time. I just need to put it out. I need to be the first person. It doesn't matter if your content sucks. You know what I mean? If you take your time and really create great stuff and create a backlog, no, khalas, you know, if I have work from now until November to post, I won't have to worry about pushing anything new. Yeah. I can just work on the now and focus on the now. And the, the application's amazing. It schedules it for awesome. you. It just gives you a notification, two taps of the screen and it's up. That's awesome. Yeah. And um, so, it, it so, goes back to, it goes back to systems yes. and being disciplined. Yes. So we're, we're, you know, to wrap up, where do you want to be in, in five years? Like where, like when you look forward to your craft, your art, who you are, the journey that you're on, um, a sense of awe and sublime, you know, what, where are you hoping this path of photography will take you? Oh, okay. Um, remember, remember earlier when I told you every year I write like a page yeah. worth of what I, I want my year to look like yeah. or whatever. Um, I've wrote, I wrote that also about really far term future once. And it's still like kind of my ultimate end goal. I want to, inshallah, one day be known as Abed al-Bidur is the landscape and like uh, is the landscape and outdoors expert in terms of photography and exploring in the region, specifically the region yeah. is my, you know, five to 10 year plan, essentially. I want to discover, you have all these people who know all about Iceland and all these crazy places, right? You know, Iceland, uh, New Zealand, yeah. very well documented. Yeah. This part of the region has a very big lack of documentation. Totally. Which I want to aid in the process because of. Because it's so hot. It's God, <laughs> dude, guys, 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 please come here and check it out yourselves, man. It's great exfoliation yeah, for the skin, great. man. The humidity. Oof, it's, like a, it. it's like a sauna. Yeah, man, girls, you gotta, don't need to buy any more highlighter. You know what I mean? Just gotta oh. get that sheen on you, you know? So, <laughs> it's like, mm, girl, what are you using? It's called Yuck. Dubai weather, baby. Yuck. Anyway, um, but I want to be the, I want to be a landscape uh, expert in the next 10 years in the region. And I want to teach people. So 10 years from now, I want to, I want my main source of income to be from workshops only. Mm -hmm. Okay. And work on personal or interesting side projects with tourism departments, with people who want to document history and art in their country. Saudi is really big right now. Yes. I wanna, so my, my, my goal this season and what I've done is every season uh, of photography, which is like usually uh, August to May, I'm going to discover one country very well. So this, years my country i've done the uae i've done a lot in the uae so this year i'm going to really focus on oman yeah so i'm going to be doing multiple two three week trips to oman in different regions and i'm already connecting with people and this is why social media is amazing you guys and this is how it's you use it so amazing I'm, guys i'm, I'm connecting you with don't even know how amazing your phone is really man like i connected with lucas through it you know what i mean just these things happen i'm, I'm connecting right now with armanis who are in the region yeah who know these areas like the back of their hand and i'm like let's go out do stuff they're like sure we'd love to have you and because i'm approaching i'm approaching them from 
an angle that is there's no like hidden agenda there's nothing bad we'll have a good time you get to meet people which totally. arabs are very receptive of totally. and I'm, i want to really capture the essence and beauty of oman next year i want to do saudi very well the year after i want to do you know inshallah one day if yemen starts opening inshallah. up even more bahrain right. bahrain is easy bahrain needs a week i'm sorry bahrain is another guy's a tiny uh you know kuwait i've been to i want to go again and i my plan is to hopefully one day cover arab region from oman all it's the awesome. way yeah, until mauritania That's 10 years from now. When I'm 36, I want, oh yeah, Abed's that. Abed's young, relatively young at that age, but he knows, he knows it all. You want to know anything? He knows the Arabian world like the back of his hand. Yeah. Every tribe, I want to go meet people. That's that's what I want to yeah. do. And I want to take people with me. I want to take people with me to these spots as well. Yeah. Inshallah. So it's amazing. That is that is the long-term plan. Inshallah. That's awesome. What would you, what would be one piece of advice to give to, to you know, those artists, creatives that are on the fence? They're they're in their jobs. Like, what is like your one? If you had like one thing to mm-hmm. tell to tell someone your age, my age, I think I'd say, man, there's a lot I want to say. <laughs> um, can I go for for a little bit of a spiel here? Just spiel to, away. You know, spiel away. Number one, you gotta know if you really want it. Okay. So that's step number one. You gotta really, really, if that's all you dream about, if it's what what makes you itch. I used to see screens and photos that make me that used to make my legs shake when I was in banking, you know? Like I'd just be like, I need to go take this photo right now, or I need to do this right now. If you feel that way about something, then go and do it. Now, how do you do it? Go ask people. Never be shy to ask people. Never be shy to say you don't know. Go learn from the best. You have to be meticulous. You have to want it. You have to develop it. And remember that in our world, people think, oh, you know, you need to be the doctor, the engineer, whatever of the family. But we live in a world where you can essentially serve 7 billion people in this world right now. Come your, on. Your market is huge. Okay. I mean, I've sold, I've sold prints in the States and in London, things I haven't thought I would do before. Inshallah, one day I'd love to exhibit all over the world. So don't be limited by the thought processes of people from who are, who are before you. Always be visionary and always look for the future and work towards it. Don't look at now. Enjoy the now. Enjoy the present. But always keep your vision looking straight ahead. Look towards the horizon and walk towards it. And that's how you're going to have something amazing happen because you're going to see things you couldn't see before. You can, your, lim- your vision is so limited, but you're going to love it, man. You're going to love the journey and just go for it. And if you'd like happy to talk to you anytime so i can suggest books videos all the stuff and do it like i just go on youtube and write you know just type in inspirational videos amazing man the world is so amazing these Gosh. things are so condensed you just put it on a 10 minute playlist you'll be so motivated to do everything so just go for it absolutely oh, sorry that was, that, was no, that, was, that was a great rant yeah <laughs> thank you wow abid How can they find you again? Uh, so I'm on uh, social media on Instagram.com slash BD or if you type Obeid Al-Budur, uh, I, phonetically, I mean, you can try typing it. You'll probably find me as well. I'm on Facebook and I have a website, ObeidAlBudur.com. But anyway, it's O-B-A-I-D-A-L-B-U-D-O-O-R.com. You'll find me or if you type BD, it'll be probably the first thing that pops up. Awesome. I'll put those, I'll put all those uh, links in the show notes. Awesome. This is so fun. Yeah, man. I loved it. This is like, this is great. Yeah. And uh, thank you for your afternoon well, for being you. on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Dude. Yeah, absolutely. Hey guys, thank you for listening to this week's episode of Own the Future. Remember to like, follow, and if you found this interesting, share it with your friends. We will see you next time on Own the Future.